Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on Backheel.com. And right out the gate, big, big news here at the show. This is, we teased this on Twitter. A couple of people managed to figure it out, uh, courtesy of some perfectly timed tweets by our new partner, World Soccer Talk. That's right. World Soccer Morning, World Soccer Talk have combined forces. We are now partnered up with one of the preeminent websites for news and analysis on said internet. Very excited about this news. It's a long-term partnership. Guarantees the continued existence of Soccer Morning in a way that we have not had for quite some time, and we're very, very excited about it. What this means for you, the listener, let's, that's the nitty-gritty here. That's what you guys care about. Number one, again, we are excited to be partnered with World Soccer Talk. We are, we are ready to go to combine forces and see what kind of Voltron we can create. But for you, the listener, you are the, if you're the established Soccer Morning listener, this is what you need to know. Number one, your podcast feed changes not. You do not need to do anything. If you are subscribed to the Soccer Morning iTunes feed, if you get it through RSS, do people still do that? You're fine. You're good to go. You don't have to worry about anything. Now, you can also subscribe at World Soccer Talk. So we have two places where you can get the show. Oh, bully. Now, if you are a live listener, you know it's on YouTube every day. Usually today it's not because YouTube sucks today. If you're, if you're watching on YouTube, you can go directly to YouTube, but we prefer you go to worldsoccertalk.com slash live. That's your new destination for the show in a live format. Boom. There you go. I'm excited. Trevor's excited. The guys over at World Soccer Talk are excited. Thank you very much to Chris Harris for everything that he's done to get us up and running here. I'm, I'm thrilled. It's his new invigoration for Soccer Morning because you guys know, look, there's no, there's no, pretending here we have been existing by the skin of our teeth for quite some time we are very close we are very close to hitting two full years of this show is that right is that possible that's not possible is it two full years of this show existing is that is that really april will be our second anniversary i'm i'm floored on by that and here we go we are uh partnered with world soccer talk again it, it guarantees the continued existence of soccer boarding for the foreseeable future. In, into the vast future of American soccer, we will, well, world soccer, because that's what we do. We're world soccer from an American perspective. There could not be a more perfect partnership. All right. That being out of the way, and now maybe I'll mention that again at the end of the show for anybody who missed it. Let's do the news, and uh, let's go ahead and tease our guest today. Tim Holt, president of USL, will join us in about six minutes. We're going to have a nice conversation with Tim about the new look of USL. No longer USL Pro, just USL. New logo, new attitude. USL Rising is the hashtag. And guess what? They're going for Division Two status. What does that mean? How does USL operate within the same environment as MLS, who they're partnered with, obviously, and in ASL. And I, we talked to Bill Peterson yesterday. 
Is it all kumbaya? We're all sitting around a campfire making marshmallows or s'mores. What, what do they call that? Roasting marshmallows. That's what I meant to say. Are we doing that or not? Also on this show, Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble will join us to talk Premier League, see, world, at 1030. So that's what you're looking forward to today. Hear your headlines. Let me run through them before we grab Tim Holt. Liverpool gets a late winner from Mario Balotelli to beat Tottenham 3-2 at Anfield yesterday. Mario Balotelli's first league goal since April. Now, the resulting quote-unquote controversy over Mario Balotelli celebrating his goal. Oh, I'm sorry. He didn't celebrate his goal. He made a two-yard run. He got on the end of a very nice cross, and he put the ball in the back of the net as a striker is supposed to do. And then he didn't celebrate. Oh, darn. Let's criticize him. I don't understand this controversy at all. This is nonsense. And I don't understand why the English make an issue out of this. Maybe there are Americans doing it too. But if you are, stop. Who cares? The man's allowed to celebrate or not by his own choice. This is nonsense. He hasn't scored since April. Maybe it was a relief. Maybe it was hard to work up that emotional energy to go running around like a crazy person. Maybe this is just Mario Balotelli and his thing. Maybe he's the Barry Sanders of international soccer. I'm cool with that. Also in Premier League action, Arsenal beat Leicester to regain the fourth spot. They jumped over Spurs, who obviously lost. We'll talk through all of these Premier League results, some of the other controversies swirling around the world's richest league with Luke Moore at 10.30. QPR gets their first away points of the season after Harry Redknapp leaves as they beat uh, Sunderland 2-0. Bobby Zamora with a very, very nice goal. Uh, In the English Premier League as well, Jose Mourinho has lashed out at the FA over inconsistency over their punitive policies, saying that, hey, if my guy, Diego Costa, is going to get suspended for three matches for a stamp on Emery Can, what's going on with Robin Van Persie and the elbow he threw against West Ham? This is Jose being deflective. Ah. Mind games, Jose. This is what he does. Does he have a point? We'll find out. Atletico Madrid president, as the sorry, the Atletico Madrid president, uh, bringing up his name right now because I don't have it on the top of my head. Miguel Angel Gilmarín has called for Spain's govern- government to pass legislation that would see La Liga TV rights money shared more equally. If you saw, in light of the Premier League television deal, which was insanely rich, five point one billion pounds. You saw this graphic that floated around that it, that showed you the disparity in Spain specifically. Real Madrid, 140 million euros. Barcelona, 140 million euros. Third, Valencia, 48 million euros. Atletico Madrid, 42 million euros. Sevilla, 32. Bilbao, 32. Villarreal, 30. Something needs to change in, change in Spain. Something needs to change significantly in Spain. Atletico Madrid's president has called for the for legislation, which has been sitting around for two years, to finally get passed that would share TV rights money more equi- equitably. Current agreement sees each club negotiate their own deal, which is clearly beneficial to Real Madrid and Barcelona. While smaller clubs like Elche, Valladolid, and Rayo Vallecano receive just 18 million euros apiece. The legislation, which was announced more than two years ago but has yet to be signed into law, aims to introduce greater balance, although the details have not been publicly confirmed. So at least let's get a working plan here to fix this problem. 
This is a piece by Dermot Corrigan over at ESPN FC, by the way, that I'm reading from. So go check this out if you're interested in this. If you like Spanish football, and who doesn't, you should want the rest of the league to have a little bit more of the share of, of the pie to get themselves better. So it, Spain doesn't have to sell all of their young talent to either Barcelona, Real Madrid, or outside of the borders of Spain. I'm sure that's what the Spanish uh, organizers would like to see if they're not connected to Real Madrid or Barcelona. All right, with that, again, Thank you very much to World Soccer Talk. I'm very excited for the partnership. Looking forward to the future. Nothing changes for you podcast people. WorldSoccerTalk.com slash live for you live listeners. Next up, Tim Holt, president of USL. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, Backheel.com, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Joined now on the telephone by the president of the United Soccer Leagues, one Tim Holt. Tim, hi, how are you, sir? Good morning, Jason. How are you? Congratulations on the big news this morning. I appreciate that. And congratulations to you as well on the on the relaunch, the rebrand, the USL Rising movement. And, and I guess right off the bat here, tell me exactly what USL Rising is all about. Thank you, sir, for the congrats. Yeah, historic and exciting uh, day for what is now the USL. We've gone through a uh, pretty comprehensive uh, rebranding of the league and uh, its logo and mark and everything related to that. It's really less a you know change of a mark than it is a change of a brand identity and a, a culture uh, with our professional league as it continues to grow and 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 elevate into different markets and and strengthen in every possible way. So um, we thought that the time was was perfect uh, to introduce this sort of powerful new. Uh, brand that engages fans and uh, our clubs in a uh, real interactive and and sort of we think unique and special type of way. Now the 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 timing of all of this, um, give me a walk me through the the build to this and and when it became clear that you wanted to rebrand and, and sort of uh, reset what USL is all about and and drop the pro in, in the uh, top division there and all of those things what. What kind of process was this? So, you know, it, it, multiple, a multi-year process. I think when we sort of got, went through this, if, if you will, relaunch of our pro division back in 2011, USL Pro was always more of a placeholder than it was a proper brand with a brand strategy and sort of a unique identity. Uh, we operated under that for the sort of the first phase of the league's uh, growth in, in this decade. And as we moved into this phase two, which we look at as the period, you know, 2015 through 2017, um, the, the time was just necessary. So we undertook uh, this in earnest about uh, 12 months ago uh, with a couple of top uh, New York-based agencies, including Good Omen, who did the creative for us and took us through, you know, literally dozens of different uh, approaches and you know the league and its its team sort of settled in on this one which we we really love because it it's just it's it's extremely um, interactive it allows our fans to to take our mark and express themselves and uh, sort of sort of be part of it rather than this and we use this terminology in our brand story this sort of a, a monolithic 
sports league mark that uh, we've had before. So the USL, um, if you look at them, they, they sort of follow the geometry of a soccer field and, and their windows uh, for people to express themselves creatively in terms of different colors, whether it's the club's colors and not uh, actually very similar in, in concept to how MLS worked with uh, their shield and its adaptability. Um, but something that I think fits our, our league, especially at this time as we continue to just experience, you know, real dramatic growth uh, in this league and, and develop a, you know, a real sustainable model for lower division professional soccer in the U.S. and well, Canada. You mentioned the MLS, uh, perhaps the MLS influence or at least the, uh, the parallel nature of what MLS did with their rebranding. How is the MLS partnership influenced uh, this decision and, and wh- where you guys are placing yourselves in the American soccer hierarchy? Well, in terms of the, the, the brand, we, we, lo- we really love that concept that, that they came with where everybody can sort of uh, work within the, within the mark um, and participate in that process. So we did, um, I think you borrow good ideas across the board from other sports leagues and other soccer leagues, and we, we definitely did that. Um, in terms of our overall partnership with MLS, it's never been better. Uh, we think it's mutually beneficial on and off the field. Certainly it's helped accelerate uh, the, the growth of, um, of the USL in different markets and regions around the country with the introduction of what will now be eight um, MLS owners having their own USL uh, franchise, um, the other 12 having direct affiliations with USL clubs. Um, so it affects the product on the field in a positive way, and it really aligns, um, I think, the, you know, the, the overall interests of you know, the growth of professional soccer Uh, in this country. With that said, uh, the relationship with MLS doesn't define what the USL is as a league. We have, you know, uh, very ambitious owners with our own strategic plans for growth and um, intending to be, you know, one of the most respected and and, and admired uh, professional sports properties in this country and one of the most admired um, professional soccer leagues in the world below the, below the first division. So, um, it's certainly enhanced what we do. We have a great relationship with MLS and in their clubs. And I think it's, uh, it's going to continue to strengthen in the future. And uh, by the same token, it's, it's not entirely what we are. We don't exist to be the MLS farm league or a reserve league for MLS, but uh, MLS owners are investing heavily, not just on the field in terms of the players, but in new stadiums um, and creating new brands, new fan bases in their markets and in satellite markets. Uh, Tim, I'm sure some people listening to this have thought uh, th- are thinking that I've buried the lead a bit, and uh, so I'm going to come to it now. Part of USL rising, part of the rebrand, part of the the push uh, to establish yourselves is is a statement that you intend to seek Division Two status with U.S. Soccer. Uh, what is the thinking behind that, and and in terms of how uh, MLS is involved in USL, how does that impact what uh, what Division Two status might mean for USL? Well, certainly that part of um, our strategic plan gets probably a disproportionate amount of the attention because it's it's interesting and it's fun to, to talk about. It's just one component part of what's going. As it relates to MLS, MLS has no impact on, you know, the decision of the league and, you know, and the team owners besides having, you know, seats at that table as team owners um, to make the push to uh, prepare and submit an application for Division II status uh, with U.S. soccer. So that's really not influenced um, by MLS in any way, shape, or form. That's part of what 
our league and its owners believe is uh, important and better stated is more reflective of where we are in actuality in terms of the strength of the league and the performance of the league on and off the field right now. We, you know, meet or exceed uh, the vast majority of the Division II standards. There are some areas both on the team level, uh, you know, and, and the league level where the, those will need to be increased or enhanced um, prior to the submission of our application. This isn't something that we're seeking, you know, by the end of the month. Uh, the, the process of compiling and putting together an application will take several months, the better part of 2015. And, uh, you know, it's our anticipation that uh, we'll submit that application this year and seek it for the beginning of the 2017 uh, competition season for, for the USL. So it's part of a medium-term uh, objective of the league that I think speaks to where the league's headed, the growth um, and where it is now and the growth and strengthening of the league. But really, it, it's getting a disproportionate amount of attention, and it's probably <laughs> secondary or tertiary to things like building new stadiums, sure. you know, improving the fan experience, the quality of the product on the field, our digital strategy, our broadcast strategy, but we understand why it's it's fun to talk about. Well, it, it's it's fun to talk about it. it. It also relates to the struggles and and sort of the way that the American pyramid has fleshed itself out over the past thirty years or so. Um, you're a veteran of of soccer. You know how how this has gone in this country for a long time. Lots of competing leagues, leagues who have uh, cannibalized each other a bit and perhaps kept a solid system from working. We know there's not movement between tiers, so that that makes whether or not Division Two or Division Three or Division One is even important a, a, a debatable philosophical question. And I had Bill Peterson from the NASL on yesterday, and I guess my question to you is, is this, uh, is this seeking a Division Two status, do you view that as we are better than the NASL? Uh, no, absolutely not. It has nothing to do with the NASL. So the NASL is a... You know, professional soccer league with its own growth strategy and objectives and strategic plan. And none of what we're looking to do in any aspect of our business, whether it's Division Two or, you know, our commercial initiatives, has anything to do with, you know, making statements about other leagues, uh, the NASL or anyone else. That would be sort of misdirected. Um, you know, well, let, let me ask you a question. So, let me just I, mean, I think what we're doing is trying to put our, our league on the strongest possible position for the marketplace sure. to continue to add value for our team owners and get the best possible business model. Okay. So how that then impacts or affects uh, other leagues is, is you know, not the driving consideration for the decisions we make. I understand that. I mean, I, I guess um, first my question is, and this, I'll admit to some ignorance here, and I've seen this stated a couple times today in, in relation to your news, is – does NASL currently have Division Two status with U.S. Soccer? Yes, I mean it's a factual. You're not. It's not an opinion. It, they have MLS has Division One status. There's a Division One league, or they're a Division One league, better stated. And NASL is a Division Two league. So, so would that mean that that USL would... is sanctioned as a Division Three league, and that's the present reality of the situation, the way the federations structured, and the way the you know the pro um, sanctioning you know, for, for professional leagues is structured. Well, I, I guess my question then is, is the, in order for that, and this is not your concern if you're just going to worry about yourselves and go for Division Two status, but would that mean USL would be replacing NASL as Division Two, or would we have two Division Two leagues? Oh, no. I, I mean, the federation, the way the federation is structured, you can have multiple leagues in a division. The issue is whether the league that's applying meets okay. the very specific and, and <laughs> thorough criteria and standards that the federations published for the respective divisions. Just like Fair. we're in 
Division three right now. You know, any any organized league could come in off the street and make an application for Division Division three. That wouldn't displace us. That would just mean they're qualified to be recognized as that division. But let's look. Let's face it. There's no such thing as a Division one or Division two or Division three business plan or league model. They're sanctioning designations. So that you know, in in reality, what's important you know, to business owners and sports properties is how you perform. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your product like? How do people perceive your product? Um, and, and, you know, you can say that there's some, you know, correlation in terms of how you're perceived based on being able to trot that out there, but that really isn't, you know, what your, what your particular league is all about. So, you know, and we've done that the last three or four years. We've focused not on trying to be the best Division three soccer league we could be, but being the best professional soccer league we can be on mm -hmm. and off the field, uh, below MLS. Okay, fa so, fair enough. Uh, and that's where our fo that's where our focus is is placed. And, and I'll move on from this topic in, in a moment, Tim. I, I promise. But what is the it, it, what based on what you just said, and and again, the fact that there's, there are league designations, and because it's not an integrated pyramid, and and if you get D two status, you're not sending clubs up to MLS uh, via promotion. What what is the benefit to USL to be a second division uh, in the United States per US Soccer? Yeah, and I think that I think there's some level of acknowledgement that in sub-segments of fan bases and some segments of the commercial, mostly the uninitiated folks that don't necessarily follow the leagues in and out and know, you know, how the strength of teams and that they may just take a simplistic thing and say, okay, what, you know, then they look at the rest of the world and say, okay, Division One, Two, or Three, then, you know, if you're a Division Three league, then you must not be as strong as, you know, the league's above you, which may or may not be the case. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what if, if that is a relevant factor and we do as a league meet the majority of the criteria and you know in order to meet the division two criteria, really there are just some adjustments we need to make um, you know within our groups and within our venues, then it makes sense for us to do that um, in order to eliminate any, you know, perception mostly to the uninitiated which which may be out there. So okay. that's the decision uh, that we've made in pursuing uh, the Division Two status uh, going forward, but again, you know, it doesn't, you know, whether we have it or we don't have it, it doesn't change how we're going to continue to operate this league on and off the field. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll pose, I think that's the big takeaway. From I'll me. pose to you, and yes, I understand that you have to get, you know, your house in order and 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 all of those things, and you're concerned about growing USL. But I'll ask you the same question I asked Bill Peterson yesterday: Is there some? Is there some responsibility on the part of MLS, absolutely, uh, but also NASL and USL to figure out a way to make this less confusing and to work with with each other? And and Bill is pushing for pro rel. Are you on um Are you on a path that you believe one day could get us to that place? And again, that would require these three leagues, um, two of whom are partnered, but they're all very different in the way they operate, to come together somehow. Yeah, look, I, I don't, I don't know. You, you're saying is there a responsibility for the league to do that? I, I, I don't know. The federation, you know, I'm sure, is constantly looking at, you know, what's in the best interest of the game overall and the professional game. For us, you know, it's, it's about, it, again, it's about serving our team owners and our fans and everything else. And look, if, if a league feels, if a league feels that it, you know, has reached a higher level, it can apply for a higher level of divisional sanctioning, right, rather than imposing promotion and relegation on, you know, leagues that are, you know, have very different uh, structures, which I think probably isn't the right thing at the right time right now. I think eventually somewhere down the road, and I don't want to quantify it, there'll be some element of that either within leagues or uh, between leagues. But 
I don't think at this particular time that's necessary, but um, I don't know. I don't know that that's anyone's responsibility to make that work. You say it's confusing um, for fans. Maybe, you know, perhaps it is. I, you know, again, I don't necessarily think that it is. You've got three professional leagues that, you know, largely are in different markets and, and serve different constituencies and fan bases. And it gives people options to follow, you know, three really strong pro leagues in this country or follow all three pro leagues in this mm-hmm. country. And, and the number next to them probably is less pertinent than, um, you know, what the product is. I, 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 I'm glad that there's soccer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm, I'm very practical about this. I want there to be local soccer for people to go out and support um, whether there needs to be some sort of um, upward mobility for teams to get people to come out is is a question for you, and it's a question for Bill Peterson, and, and obviously MLS sitting at the top uh, is has a closed shop and is fine with the way things are. Um, I'll, I'll move on from this, and, and there are some questions, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, that, that we'll leave to a later date in terms of whether or not you're seeking any waivers or, or, or the like for D2 status. I, again, this is what people are talking about. Uh, I, but I do know that one of the requirements, and I'm sure you'll be happy to talk about this, is broadcasting. Um, what's the situation with USL and getting games in front of people's eyes this, uh, this season? Great. Um, we're going to, one of the areas, uh, we talked about USL rising being the theme. I think one of the areas where we feel we need to continue to elevate is on the broadcast side. So what we're doing is, um, as a preferred partner of YouTube, we'll be, have our own YouTube channel, as will all the teams. Every USL, uh, every USL game this season, over 300 regular season games and 11 postseason games will be aired live, free, in HD, minimum three camera shoot, uh, via YouTube. So for us, it's about exposure of a product that we think is really, really strong, uh, in venues. So our internal broadcast standards have increased. Um, look, you know, games that are online are available on any, you know, uh, any sort of, uh, screen that anyone has in their house in this day and age. So, you know, you can put it up on your 60 inch television. You can watch it on your iPad, um, or your phone. So people will have these wherever they are at any time. All the games will be archived. And, uh, so that's the primary strategy. We're working very hard to get a television broadcast uh, in the more traditional sense for our championship game, uh, this year to even, you know, give it a bigger platform, uh, than perhaps in the past. And, uh, but that's, that's the strategy. So we're making sure we do that. We do it better. It's reliable. The broadcast quality is very watchable. The graphics will be elevated, um, so that people, you know, know what the score is and know how much time's there. And, um, you know, it, That'll continue to, to, to evolve over time. I just think it's necessary for any uh, pro league to have that. And the biggest thing for us is making it free right now. I mean, over time, you want to be able to monetize your, your broadcast rights, and it's an important component of a commercial strategy. But for now, we want more and more people just to be exposed to the product and not have to pay for it, but just enjoy it. A nice little uh, proving ground for some future American soccer broadcasters, maybe. We'll get some of, yeah, some of that happening. Uh, you're adding you're adding 13 clubs, Tim. That is a massive increase. Obviously, a lot of that's driven by the MLS involvement in the league. How does the how does scheduling work? How do you maintain a certain level of of quality and control when you are growing at that pace? Would you believe that the scheduling has been? I hate to use the term easier. Um, we it simplified us. The league growth has simplified things because we're in a country as big as ours. The challenges were the gaps in regions. Now we have a sort of a robust presence and, you know, in the West Coast and the central part of the country and the East Coast, we made the determination to divide into two, a two conference uh, table in East and the West, and the schedules are largely self-contained. 
there's uh, a limited amount of crossover play uh, with some regionalized games uh, to focus on rivalries. But that's allowed us to improve the schedule with respect to uh, spacing out games. You know, the sort of back-to-back games on consecutive nights or even two and three nights are, are almost extinct. Um, in our league this season, which is good for players, it's good for fans, um, and uh, allows us to have more weekend nights, specifically Saturday night games, which will help teams in terms of fan support and revenue. So it actually, I mean, look, there's more variables. Um, you know, you've got teams that have uh, MLS teams as part of their stable, and so there were some some different challenges this year. But the end result of the schedule, uh, we think, is vastly superior. And as we continue to grow, we think it'll actually allow us to even even build upon that in the future. So it's actually one of the things we're most excited about for fans this year. It's just just fantastic variety of opponents, mm-hmm. great dates. Um, you know, it should be fun. Uh, you did uh, briefly mention venues, and I, I know that's again that's part of the the, the Division Two standards is, is some requirements when it comes to venues. What and and there are certainly some headlines being made. MLS teams committing or MLS owners committing to building some venues. Um, around the league and 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 teams are mostly set in that regard but how do you make sure you're you're reaching the level you need to reach um, in order to be you know what what is an established league with good soccer venues that, that allow for for a good uh, viewing experience for the fans and also meet that that standard so yeah we're, we're getting there and it won't happen overnight it's but changes are happening like Pittsburgh with a new stadium two years ago we're bringing St. Louis in with this Stadium Colorado Springs will have a, a newer stadium. We have something that, which is more internal, strategic that we've launched is is uh, called Destination 2020. And I won't bore you with the details, but there's a number of different strategic initiatives that are part of that. And and one of the most important is is soccer specific stadiums. So as we look at that, what all of our teams need to have in place, um, you know, within the next couple of years is they need to be owners or operators of soccer specific stadiums. The minimum capacity needs to be 5,000 seats. Um, the elimination of permanent football lines and goalposts needs to be a must in terms of the venue they're playing at. Um, uh, seating on both sides of the fields and the ability to film into the main uh, grandstand as well as other uh, amenities. So moving into proper soccer venues, you see what it's done in terms of it being a game changer in Major League Soccer with all the new venues and the type of atmosphere it creates it at games and you know look we it's an, an issue of scale within the usl uh, the stadiums in our case are five to ten thousand seat stadiums but it's it's absolutely just as important and our teams realize this they can't be you know third tenants in high school football stadiums it just mm-hmm. doesn't feel like a professional sporting event some of them are there at a you know necessity and not having other options teams that aren't actively building uh, or working on stadium solutions have plans in place and we're working with those teams and some of our vendors to help them get to where they need to be sooner rather than later. By the end of the decade, every one of our teams that competes in this league will meet all the criteria I just set forth. Um, and for some of those criteria, though, all those will be in place by the 2017 season. How, how do you balance? How do you balance the? What I'm getting to is how, how do you balance the MLS, uh, the MLS clubs versus the independent clubs in in terms of. You know, uh, again, uh, um, best practices, trying to sell tickets. I know everybody's sort of, you know, in it together. This is a united league, as you guys have laid out. How do you balance out, you know, getting 8,000 people out to a Charleston Battery game when you know that, you know, whether or not they're they're popular or, or not, you're probably not going to get 
5,000 people, 3,000 people, 1,000 people out to certain MLS reserve team games? We just don't accept that as a a foregone conclusion or reality. Uh, We were very, you know, we've been very clear and good conversations both with MLS, the league, as we entered into this partnership and with the individual teams that have decided to um, enter, you know, uh, acquire franchises in the USL, um, that this just can't be hosting soccer games, hosting 28 soccer games a year. You need to be committed to running a soccer franchise, running a second soccer franchise. So, you know, it's early days. I mean, we have one Team, se- team season's worth of experience with the Galaxy, who we thought did an exceptional job last year. They took it seriously in terms of the competition. They played for a championship. They were a goal away from hosting a championship in their first season. They've got plans in terms of how they make uh, you know venue and fan experience different. But if you look just in this next class, Seattle and Portland, you know, will be you know they both play in five. They're going to play in five thousand seat stadiums. We'll be very surprised based on where they're tracking right now. If those things aren't, if those stadiums aren't full or very close to full for every game, you got a Real Salt Lake who's drawn almost 10,000 for the two crossover games that are building their own soccer stadium. They're building a second soccer-specific stadium in Salt Lake. Um, so you talk about teams that are committed to that. Um, we've got MLS teams that are equally as committed to running uh, lower division professional clubs the same way, with the same commitment that the Charleston Batteries are and the Rochester Rhinos. You know, St. Louis FC and you know, Oklahoma City FC. So but, uh, we think that's important. And, uh, you know, they've bought into that. Obviously, you know, it might not be, you know, 5,000 fans from the first game, but we'll work with those teams until we get there and we'll, we'll make adjustments with them until we get there. Um, so, yeah, I, that's, you know, probably the best way that I could, you know, ex- answer your question. Okay. On that, on that front, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better for these uh, MLS reserve teams to have their own identities rather than be Seattle Sounders 2 and Timbers 2 and uh, TFC 2. I mean, I, I understand why they do that as, in terms of brand unity for those individual clubs, but from a USL perspective, wouldn't it be better to have those teams with their own names and identities? There are benefits, and you know, you could look at that either, either way. Um, so the brand association of, with, the, with the MLS team is a benefit, I think, in certain, certain credibility when you see that on the schedule. There are other benefits, and most of them are on the commercial side to have a, a unique identity going the way like Real Monarchs, SLC have, or FC Montreal, a number of, but it's an individual club decision and it should be an individual club decision in terms of what they do. And just because they're starting in year one uh, using sort of the, you know, we'll call it the parent club or the MLS club brand doesn't mean that over time that won't evolve and change as they consider uh, different alternatives. So Things are happening pretty quick for us here, and you know there are sort of initial starting points for all this stuff. But we expect these, uh, you know, teams to to be part of the USL for you know decades to come. So this is just our this is the starting line, and and we'll see how it evolves over time. Now, what's the situation, quickly, Tim, with uh, with the PDL with the W League? In terms of. Well, you know, you've rebranded USL Pro as USL in order, uh, you know, it's a more, it's a simpler name. It obviously, uh, is cleaner from a brand perspective, uh, not to get into too much of that side of things, but uh, there are some people wondering, uh, I just had a question. What does any of this might, what does any of this mean for the PDL, for the W League and your other leagues that you run? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I better understand the question. Uh, you know, nothing's, nothing's changed. It certainly isn't negative. I think our focus rather than, 
branding everything under an umbrella USL um, is that each of these leagues have their own unique identity, um, their own constituency, and need to be treated, you know, with individual emphasis and focus. They're all, you know, in different, you know, parts of the soccer marketplace, and, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So our focus now and sort of starting, you know, very aggressively with the pro league is to break that off, give it its own identity, its own digital platform, then moving in and doing the same thing with the PDL here over the course of the next year and, and our other properties like Super 20, um, you know, and, and the youth property or property or properties that we operate and, and the women's league as well. So all of those have individual uh, websites at present. And, you know, I think they're also, they continue to be part of our, our stable of leagues uh, that we run. But as we sort of promote each now, we'll do it on an individual basis with them all having their own brand rather than a sort of a catch-all USL umbrella approach to things. All right, Tim Holt, president of USL, joining us here on Soccer Morning. Talk about the, about the rebrand there and obviously the future of that league. Tim, I appreciate the time. You've been very patient with me. Thanks a lot. Jason, my pleasure. Once again, congratulations on the big news for you and your show. I, th- I appreciate it. Let's uh, take a break. When we uh, come back, we'll shift gears. We'll talk Premier League with our friend Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble. You're listening to Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning, Backheel.com, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Joining me on the phone from jolly old England, Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble, Lukey Moore on Twitter. Luke, how are you, sir? I'm good. It's not that jolly today. It's quite cold. Is it? Is it? Well, I feel like it's always yeah. cold. I think as an American who's uh, who's yet to make that trip, uh, Luke, it feels... I yeah. I just assume that England is always cold, and coming out of uh, coming out of the winter has got to be a, a a nice thing, especially for for you over there. Now we've got a lot to talk about here when it comes to the Premier League, and some of this is is off the field nonsense, and and this is the stuff that I get uh, probably more worked up about than I should. Uh, yes, the the matches matter, and and we've got a result, a couple of results from yesterday that are worth talking about, but I have to first go to. Louis Van Hall's response to Sam Allardyce's accusations about Manchester United's style of play and how this has turned into, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a controversy or controversy. I would say it's, it's a whole lot of nothing, but it is, it is rather, rather amusing. Yeah, it's fairly entertaining, isn't it? I mean, it's, I'm surprised that Louis Van Hall's even bothered lowering himself to this. It doesn't seem to be hugely like him. I mean, he does like to burn a grudge and he does like to throw his weight around a bit and, he obviously is his own biggest fan, as many of these top uh, operators are. But I was surprised that he went to the length he went to to sort of um, deny what Big Sam was saying about him. Um, they got a point out of the game there. It was a poor performance. So they were probably pleased to... would have felt like it. it was one of those games that would have felt like it wouldn't be United and felt like it was a defeat for West Ham. Mm-hmm. But um, United are in better shape this season than they were last season. A third in the table. They should really finish in the top four, I think. I imagine they will. They're certainly going to be in, um, when compared to last time out. Um, so, yeah, it does seem a bit strange. I think he needs to really get his own house in order and not really worry about that sort of stuff. He needs to do uh, get, take a leaf out of Mourinho's book and just start um, 
creating like a siege mentality in an us against them type environment to, to motivate his players and try and improve on their performance. Yeah, well, well, doesn't it speak a little bit to Mourinho's genius that he can he can go out and play any way he wants to to get a result, and and he's sort of uh, he's sort of insulated from this. I mean, people may talk about it, but he doesn't care, or he creates again that um, you know that the siege mentality as you mentioned. Whereas Van Hall, what is it about Allardyce, and why is it important? For to Van Hall that people care about his his style and how and how Manchester United is playing right now as long as the points are coming. I understand you have a mandate as a big spending top club to to play a certain way, but ultimately isn't the goal finish top four, make the Champions League? Yeah, it is, and that's why it's surprising that he's risen to it. And the background for those who don't know about Sam Allardyce doing this is because Sam Allardyce managed Bolton and had a reputation for. Uh, then being quite a rough-housing, physical, sort of long-ball-type side. But he was actually very successful with them. I think he took them to fifth in the table. And I think he took them to a League Cup final as well. Um, and now his side at West Ham are playing quite nice football and knocking it about nicely. And he's basically reveling in this this new born-again um, reputation for, for having a side who are doing well, performing above expectations and playing some quite nice stuff. So what he's then doing is saying, this is a role reversal, isn't it? Isn't this funny that a team, the illustrious Manchester United, are sort of resorted to long balls to try and get a point against us? <laughs> I mean, what I would say to that is that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of tactical flexibility that Van Gaal doesn't mind going back to pragmatism and, and, and lumping long balls up to a big man in, in the shape of Mario Fellaini to try and get a point, which ultimately works. And if I was Sam Arp, I'd have been fuming that, no one picked up that second ball, and I was so close to a to a win against Man United, who, by the way, Sam Allardyce has got a pretty poor record against, mm. um, and it, and was denied a much needed win and a, and a much um, a much what would have been a much celebrated win. So, a bit of deflection there, maybe, and a little bit of um, bit of fun that Sam Allardyce likes to have with the media and likes to, uh, to to rattle a few cages. He does it a lot with Mourinho as well. Um, this most, as I said at the top of this, the most surprising thing is that Van Gaal has risen to it, um, and I don't know what his motivation is yet. But I imagine ultimately it will come clear at some point. Well, I'm, you know, it, it seems to me that he was, you know, he was hired um, after the you know, quote-unquote disaster that was David Moyes to revive Manchester United. He comes in with this lofty reputation, rightfully earned lofty reputation. He's not English, so there's certainly something to be said for for that. And and you know, as a, as a um, as a result of the of the Dutch tradition of. of of tactical flexibility and everything. I'm sure that that's part of it. He's his egos bruised. Why he lets his ego get bruised by, by Sam Allardyce. I'm not sure. Um, let's talk about Jose Mourinho though. And, and his most recent rant or, uh, uh, media spat. And that's, uh, in regards to the, the punishment that was handed out to Diego Costa for his stamp versus Robin Van Persie getting off on a, on an elbow that was thrown against West Ham. Is this uh, more of Mourinho's games, or is, do you think he legitimately has a point here? For a bit of both, I'd say. The different incidents, of course, different parts of the body, different injuries, potential injuries anyway, hard to compare the two, I suppose. Um, Mourinho is just using any capital he can to, <laughs> to, to try and motivate his players and, and, again, use this sort of siege mentality thing. I mean, they're seven points clear at the top of the league, and if Man City slip up tonight, they'll probably be ten points clear. They're not going to let that slip. So, I mean, he's just making a point. I think a bit of territorial, uh, um, territorial stuff. Just saying, you know, this is this is the situation. I don't want people to forget about um, this Diego Costa ban because, if anything, he knows he can't do anything about that ban now, but he can use it for sort of cultural capital and, and there's a bit of ammo um, to try and say that you know sometimes we're a bit hard done by. And if he can put that in the uh, 
in the mind of a referee or two, or maybe even the establishment themselves, then he'll do that. And he'll also have the added bonus of saying to his players, look, they're against you. They don't want you to win. Let's show them we can win. Let's show them we are the best. And and it's all part of that sort of mind game stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if Mourinho says to his players behind closed doors, don't listen to anything I say in the press. Mm. It's all part of my job. It's all part of my game. You leave me get on with that. What I'll tell you in here is the most important thing. And and that's why the players don't seem to be phased by it and why they trust him sort of 100% and, and... Probably part of the reason why he's such a successful manager. Mm. Uh, we turn now. I turn now to the result yesterday: Liverpool beating Tottenham. Mario Balotelli with the winning goal, and certainly there's a, a story there. Uh, it, the loss for the Spurs and, and Arsenal's win against Leicester pushes uh, the Gunners back into uh, the top four. When it comes to Mario and and the goal, and, and look, we know that there's an English media fascination with Balotelli. He's obviously had a bad run at Liverpool. He comes on as a as a late substitute, and and there was uh, displeasure at Anfield over that substitution. He ultimately gets the goal. I mean, does, is this the type of thing that you think can can set him off and, and get him back right, or is it just always going to be difficult for for a player of his uh, of his temperament to get along in England? Difficult to say. I think one thing that's cl- clear to me is that at the top level, you clearly need to have the mentality as well as the physical attributes and talent. So, if you've not got that mentality right, you've not got that confidence and that um, and that mindset then you're not going to really be consistently successful. Now, no one questions Balotelli's physical attributes or his talent, but his mindset is poor for a number of different reasons. I mean, it's not really... I'm not an expert on him or, or his, his upbringing or his, uh, his, 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 his state of mind, but it doesn't help when he's in that sort of shape and that sort of mood. And, and, and you know, but on the other hand, he's not had a huge amount of chances. He's not started his career right. He certainly isn't the first striker. To um, to start his career at a new club poorly and then eventually come good if that does happen. I mean, Luis Suarez didn't start brilliantly at Liverpool and went on to do great things. So there's no reason that he can't do that. But it's the manager's manager's job to, to to get the best out of him, and no manager really has been able to do that consistently in his young career so far. But I mean, a goal, a winning goal in an important game isn't going to hurt him. Hurt him, and he's going to be he's going to improve him or anything. It may not have any effect at all, but if it's going to have any effect, it will be to improve him. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's also a case of how he can fit into that system. Mm. And Rodgers, I don't think, has handled him brilliantly. But I don't really want to not continue to make excuses for the guy. I mean, he's not performing and he needs to perform to justify his ways and justify his position in that squad. And if he doesn't, he'll go. He'll find somewhere that he can fit in. Um, and maybe, in his case, there isn't anywhere he can fit in. And he, hasn't, he isn't destined to have a great career at the top level, which would be a shame, but he won't be the first time he'll play to, to fall by the wayside. So it's very much a watch and brief on him at the moment to see how they get on. But Liverpool are in great form, and, and you know they, they they've called upon a striker who's cost them a bit of money, who's got pedigree when they've needed him, and he's delivered. And it's the first time probably he has delivered, mm-hmm. other than that Champions League goal he scored. <clears throat> so we'll see what happens with Mario Balotelli. He's a fascinating character, and that's what the media are obsessed with him. But he's not fulfilled his potential yet. And I know there are many people who'd like to see him do so. I'm one of those people. Yeah. But I wouldn't be sticking my mortgage on it. Put it that way. <laughs> no, and, and you know it, it's further to the constant analysis of everything Mario Balotelli that 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 his lack of celebration was even an issue yesterday. That that because, but he always does that. I mean, he's always he's on record saying he doesn't like celebrating. I, I realize that, and that that should give him a pass. But when Phil Neville feels the need to to comment on Balotelli not celebrating. You know, an important goal against a rival for you know a top tier spot in the league that it only draws more attention to the fact that who is it? Who is it? You said that. Sorry, Phil Neville did that. 
I feel nervous there's an awful lot of things, Jason, especially <laughs> in the media in this country. I, w- I wouldn't worry too much about that. that no, no, no I, mean, I agree. I, mean, I agree. It's, again, it's, just, it, it's frustrating to me because it feels like there needs to be a manufactured controversy around Mario Balotelli, even when he does something good for his club. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially that's, that's, the, that's the British media around him in a nutshell. Phil Nevis has a lot of things, uh, some of which are good, in my view, some of which are idiotic, and, and that's just another one of them. You know, it's not, it's not a huge surprise to me that Phil Nevis saying that stuff. But, you know, Bellatelli said a while ago famously that I don't celebrate goals because a postman doesn't celebrate delivering letters. It's right. my job. I just get on with it. I'll celebrate a goal in the World Cup final, which is, you know, which is how he finished the, the statement. And you, you, I understand that. I understand what he's saying that he wants to achieve things. But, but the thing is, the problem is there's a disconnect between what he says and what he does. If he cared that much about playing football and he cared passionately enough to not celebrate goals because he wants to wait until he scores a goal in the World Cup final, he's not going to get to the World Cup final unless he starts pulling his finger out and, and, and consistently performing. Um, we've seen him celebrate a goal. We saw him celebrate a goal in the Euro, Euro 2012 semi-final. And what, what a goal it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So we know he can do it. We're just still waiting for him to do it and we'd love to him to do it but in the meantime he, he, he isn't doing it and what he is doing is a lot of interesting and potentially newsworthy stuff off the pitch which tends to uh, tends to go against him and, and tends to sort of supersede any headlines he may or may not be making on the field. Yeah, that, that particular celebration was, was good enough, quality enough to, to last him for another 50, 60, 80 goals. So we'll just I agree. We'll I go agree. with that one. Uh, matches today, and, and I'll focus uh, specifically on City because, uh, look, they're the only team that's even got a reasonable chance to chase down Chelsea. Um, they missed Yaya Torre specifically over the course of the Africa Cup of Nations, and congratulations to him for Ivory Coast winning the tournament. Um, getting him back is is obviously crucial, but they they're they're a way to Stoke. How do you how do you see City right now as they sort of, you know, they're not quite good enough to go and, and challenge Chelsea, but they're also you know they're also right there solidly in second place. Uh, right now, I see them as a fairly inconsistent to poor side because that's what their form is is, is dictating. I mean, I think they're about eleventh in the form table, seven points in their last six games. Yaya Torre won't play tonight, as far as I understand. Right. Um, he's not he's not recovered from the uh, from the Africa Cup of Nations, so he won't feature. They've not won a Premier League game without him this season. I don't think they can write and say on that. So I mean, if they have, they certainly haven't won many. And Stoke is a difficult place to go because Stoke are not only a solid, um, hard-working, talented team; they're actually in good form, far better form than City are themselves. So that'll be a difficult game for them tonight. And they've got the added pressure of knowing that um, if they don't win tonight, it's essentially, the total race is essentially over. And they struggled. They got out of jail against Hull. They were hapless at the back. They were very, very lucky, in my view, to get anything out of that game. Um, and Stoke are better than Hull. I mean, far better. So, I mean, they've got to improve hugely within the last three or four days to, to, to beat Stoke. And if they don't beat Stoke, they're not going to win the league title this season. Mm-hmm. For, my, for me, it's as simple as that. Uh, Chelsea home to to Everton. Obviously, um, Everton uh, not not what you would expect out of them. And no, if you, in, sorry, Jason. In the context of the title race, it comes down to a couple of things. It comes down to how good the manager is. Mm-hmm. Pellegrini isn't in the same class as Mourinho, and it comes down to those teams with massive resources. How well that they deal respectively with losing players. So. Chelsea have lost Diego Costa and Fabregas, who have been their two probably standout players first half of the season. And they've still done okay. They're still top of the league. They're still sitting pretty, riding high. All that other stuff. City have lost a player or two here or there, haven't been able to cope. 
and and that's what it comes down to. And that will be the difference between the winning and not winning at the Premier League this season. And that's probably why Chelsea are overwhelming favourites to win it. Uh, so you expect you would expect Chelsea to take care of of Everton at home tonight. Uh, Manchester United facing Burnley, Southampton, uh, West Ham, and uh, Crystal Palace, Newcastle. Any of the and West Brom, Swansea. I missed that as well. Any of those matches stand out to you? Um, I think Southampton West Ham is a fairly interesting one because Southampton don't look like a team who are going anywhere very very fast. I mean, they're sticking around that top four. I don't want to give it up. And it's a tough assignment for West Ham tonight. Um, and if Southampton win that, I mean, they're real real contenders. Because if they win tonight, that's another three points they've put on Spurs. Um, and they're, they're right amongst it. They've got to be taken seriously. But West Ham are a decent enough side. And Southampton did struggle against QPR last time out. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Luke Moore for the world famous football ramble joining us talking a little Premier League Luke I appreciate uh, your time and your patience thanks a lot as always pleasure thanks Jason take it easy alright let's take a break when we come back we'll open up the phone lines get the Twitter machine going it's soccer morning here on Backheel.com's World Soccer Talk brand new partnership very excited don't go anywhere be right back Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning, Backheel.com, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Bring me your congratulations. No, I'm kidding. Congratulations are not necessarily in order. We want to uh, celebrate this new partnership. We're very excited about it. Uh, it's going to keep the show going. That's the bottom line here. We get to keep doing Soccer Morning. We're approaching our two-year anniversary. That's mind-blowing. I know that when Trevor and I started this, April of 2013, we had no idea we'd be making it this far. And uh, very much thankful to World Soccer Talk for stepping up. 405, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. How's it going? It's It's going. So between the last two days, I thought you had perfect opportunity to ask about the mess that is Oklahoma City with, uh, <laughs> between the NASL and UFL and suing each other and everything that's going on there. For uh, people yeah. that don't know, there's a PDL team in Oklahoma City. There has been. They requested to go to USL Pro, not denied. Jump to NASL within 24 hours of them announcing the NASL franchise, USL Pro, granted a franchise to Oklahoma City. So now we're going to have a PDL, NASL, and a USL team all in Oklahoma City. Yeah, you know, I know Oklahoma City is a, is a morass. I apologize for not getting to that issue specifically. There's so many things that we can talk about with these guys. And you're right. I, I failed on that front. I, I, my, my, my deepest apologies to the soccer fans of Oklahoma. I, I am sorry. I will make it up it, to you. It isn't even a, necessarily about Oklahoma, but I think that in general illustrates why U.S. soccer needs to get get involved with yes, this tier system here. Well, okay. Because Regardless you of mentioned what- the. I doubt all three of these teams are going to sustain. And that's when it comes down to any time we're losing franchises or when teams fold, that's a bad thing. 
you know, I agree with that. I mean, in in microcosm, the Oklahoma City situation is exactly the problem we've had in American soccer for 30 years. Everybody fighting everybody else for the same little tiny scraps of land. Maybe figure out a way to get along. And look, that's why it's good that MLS and USL are, are partnered. Maybe USL was never going to be a threat to MLS. Probably not. But it's better to have these teams and these leagues working together than butting heads and causing problems. And you still have the NASL out there doing their thing. And look, they're, they, they have full rights to do whatever they want to build their business within American soccer. There's a market to be had. They want to go have it. But because the sport has struggled to make it time and time again, the soccer wars of the 20s and 30s, NASL dying the first time around, now we finally have some stability, and you wonder if it's all going to be undermined by the fact that you again have teams and leagues competing with each other not just in terms of the game but off the field in marketing suing each other as you said i appreciate the phone call anything else in uh, the irony of this is is a hundred miles away is tulsa who had one of the top attended um teams from the original nasl and no one's going there yeah, yeah. Good figure. I appreciate the call. Thanks right, a lot. Thanks, Jason. Oklahoma soccer got some problems. Uh, let's see. Six three one. You're on the air. Hey, Jason. It's Bill from Brooklyn. How you What's doing? What's going on, Bill? Hey, uh, congratulations on uh, on getting the new uh, sponsorship there. Every time you guys post uh, tweets about soccer morning news, I'm I'm almost terrified that it's going to be uh, news <laughs> you guys are going away. So oh, I'm, I'm ter- Bill. I, I'm terrified every single day. Terrified every day. <laughs> now I don't have to be terrified for a while. That's a good thing. Go ahead. All right, so uh, we've kind of opened the, uh, the, uh, the, the genie's bottle here with promotion relegation. I have two, two topics I want to talk about here real quick. The first was uh, last year you had a great interview uh, with uh, Peter Will from Indy 11 on, and you'd asked him point blank if any of the NASL teams could next year compete in MLS, and he said flat out no, that they're everything from stadium infrastructure to payroll to, uh, to everything like that, he just said that you know it it couldn't be done. So I mean, it, as much as you know, a, a champion of the NASL, you know, they'd love the opportunity to compete in MLS. Yeah, I, I, I think he's probably right that you know nobody really does have all the necessary. Uh, you know, tools. Well, uh, to you know, do so. I'm of the opinion that we should make Peter Wilt the pro rel pope of American soccer. If if it needs, if it's going to happen, Peter Wilt's the kind of guy that can talk us through it, find a way to make it work. And and he's a very look. He, he wants pro rel. He does. He's one of those people. He's on the record saying, "I would love for that to happen." But he's also a practical guy who's spent the last 25 years building soccer teams. He knows that it's unlikely. It's not practical. It's it can't happen right now. And I think that that's the disconnect that I, I'm most frustrated by. Yeah, of course, I would love for there to be pro rel in the United States. The fact that we, the, the fact that we just don't have the system to get there, that's frustrating to all of us. Yeah, and the second point I wanted to bring up is that uh, depending on what you read here and there, the cost to buy into uh, a USL team is roughly between two and a half, five million dollars here or there. And even if, uh, you know, if USL is sanctioned as a second division and by some stretch of uh, the imagination, we do end up with a promotion relegation system, how could you have uh, a guy who bought his team for two and a half, three million dollars right. just walk into a room with a bunch well, of guys who just spent over a okay. hundred million dollars to buy their franchises? Well, okay. 
you you make a, you make an interesting point in terms of how those people will think. I, I think that's the really that's the issue here is whether or not the crafts of the world, or not the crafts, but the the uh, uh, the the city football groups, the Mansours of the world, would be okay with being in in a position to be relegated while somebody who paid two million dollars for their franchise is coming up. But but that happens around the world all the time. I mean, there there's it's clearly going to cost you less money to buy Norwich than it is to buy Manchester United, and and in you know, in in Manchester United could conceivably be relegated. They're unlikely to be, but they still have they still have that knowledge that if we don't if we don't maintain our standard, there's a chance one day it can happen. Look at Dortmund. I mean, Dortmund. I don't know what Dortmund's individual value is, and and Bundes, the Bundesliga has very strict rules on ownership and shares but i would imagine that you know that club is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and yet here they are being you know facing relegation while a club who costs a fraction of that if you wanted to buy them could come up next year i hear this anyway uh thanks for taking my call i appreciate it all right appreciate the phone call bill there you go three four seven seven five six 6276 is your phone number. I didn't even give it out. We already got two phone calls. I appreciate that. Um, I did want to say this. We had Bill Peterson yesterday. We had Tim Holt today. Commissioner Garber, what's going on? How you doing? How's the weather in New York? Are you in New York right now? I don't even know where you are, to be honest with you. You're a jet-setting kind of guy. You got stuff to do all over the country. You're flying from Miami to Sacramento to to St. Louis, I, I don't know where you are right now, but where wherever you are, I would just like to extend an invitation to Soccer Morning. Just cut, we'll have a ten minute chat. Be very pleasant. We'll talk about the future of MLS. We'll talk about the, how how MLS is is viewing their strategy. We'll do all of those. We'll talk about synergy. We can we can talk about branding. It'll be great. It'll be great, and we'll have completed our collection here. Yeah, we'll talk about aligning with the vision. We'll, we'll ask, I'll ask you to give me your take on how American soccer fans and American soccer or U.S. national team coaches need to align with the vision. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. I may throw in a couple of difficult questions because that's just what I do, but you can handle those. You're a pro. You've been doing this for 20 years. No problem. Commissioner Don Garber, please, please. Soccer Morning would love to have you. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. All right, 347-756-6276. Last chance for phone calls here. Very good show. Tim Holt, Luke Moore. This is what we do. I love this. We talk American soccer pyramid structure, second division sanctioning, and we jump over and we talk Premier League and all of the entertaining nonsense that's going on there louis van hall and his dossiers and the likes big sam in the news jose Mourinho crying foul it's great i think tomorrow well wait actually oops uh, i i apologize for this but there will not be a show tomorrow i forgot that i have a doctor's appointment for my kid it's a follow-up from what happened last year if you guys remember that so unfortunately i can't make tomorrow's show but we will be back on friday maybe friday we can make it even a, a more interesting mix of topics. We can do like Spain and youth, American youth development. Well, are those two things connected in any particular way? Or, you know, maybe we could do like Eastern European football one day. Yeah, we'll do the Myanmar U20s. We'll do Kazakhstan and their program. And then we'll talk about uh, Club Tijuana. 
that those two things are those are great together. Seven oh three, you're on the air. Hey Jason, congratulations on the uh, World Soccer Talk News. Appreciate that, man. Who's this? This is uh, Thomas from Long Beach. Hey Thomas, you got you got a seven oh three number, and you're in Long Beach. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's a new world. We can move anywhere. Uh, no, I'm sure, look, I'm sure Long Beach is is a hell of a lot better than Nova right now, so I'm down with this. All right, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a question on the CBA news. Um, I had, you know, I'm when this all started, I had heard about possibility of players being signed with a, a modified free agency where maybe the players who had been in the MLS for a while longer would get free agency, but maybe not the new players coming into MLS. But now, more and more, I'm hearing, you know, they're striking for full free agency. Do you know if that's just posturing or if they're... Well, look, uh, you, you really don't... When, when you go into a negotiation, you don't say, hey, we we really want we want this thing, but we'd really be okay accepting something that comes well short of that. No, you don't do that. You set you set right. out your demands at the far extreme, and you work backwards based on how the, the talks go across the table. So, of course, the players are going to say, we want full, unrestricted free agency. And then MLS is going to say, no, no, we no, not in a million years will we ever do that. And the players will say, okay, well, what about five-year service or 150 games or an age requirement, something like that? And then MLS will go, well, no, we're still not cool. And then they'll go back and forth and they'll find, hopefully, I mean, this is what we all wish for, some sort of middle ground in order to institute a free agency that is be- that is better than the reentry draft. Because if, if if you don't recall, maybe some people don't. I interviewed Jimmy Conrad about this. Jimmy Conrad was the man sort of behind the idea of the reentry draft. The players knew they weren't going to get free agency. They didn't really push it back in 2010. They came up with this modified reentry draft system, which was supposed to be sort of a hedge against free agency. If we take that system and open it up a little bit more, maybe that's where we end, uh, we ultimately end up and the players can be happy. Yeah, because I definitely prefer actually over unlimited free agency. I think it would be better for the league if there's a, a limited free agency where you have some service because I don't want to see, you know, this this thing where LA's and Seattle's get all the best players, you know, and get, you know, the, the US internationals coming back and stuff well, okay. like that. I don't want to see them all you know, I think that's overstated. I like the parody. Okay, but I think that's overstated. I don't think everybody's going to go to L.A. and Seattle. Yes, they have money, and Toronto obviously has money, but there are other ways to attract players to various locations. And look, there's room within sort of the um, tapestry that is MLS for teams to be successful despite not being the free agency destination that a Miami would be if there right. was in the league or a L.A., the Real still, I, I believe that Real still Salt Lake. Now, okay, with this new coach and, and obviously with Garth Lagerwey leaving, I don't know how good they'll be in the future. But if they had this, if they had the same, if they Jason Christ and, and Garth Lagerwey and we had free agency, I believe they'd still be successful. Whether they were spending big money on trying to attract guys to to you know to to Utah or not, and, and you wouldn't think, okay, right. that's a place where where free agents are going to go. They would still have a successful team because they're smart guys who know how to build a team. Absolutely. Thanks for taking my call. Please. I appreciate it. There you go. All right, let's finish up on that note. It is Soccer Morning. Again, very happy to be partnered with World Soccer Talk. Make sure you are adjusting your uh, your destination every morning for the show, 10 to 11 plus a.m. Eastern, worldsoccertalk.com slash live. If you are a podcast listener, 
You do not have to do anything differently. There is no change for you. We are partnered with World Soccer Talk, and you will still get your show the way that you've always gotten it. All right, thanks again to Tim Holt for his time. Thank you to, thank you to Luke Moore for his insight. Guys, hit us up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Definitely go over and, and visit World Soccer Talk and check out the news over there about the show, uh, partnering with the website. It's a, it's a big, it's a brand new day for Soccer Morning. Our future is secure, and we're very happy about that. Uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, tomorrow. Oh, yeah, get a mug, backyo.com slash store, and get a T-shirt, 3NLFC.com. And we'll be back. No, yeah, I won't be back tomorrow. Friday. Friday, Friday, Friday. Tomorrow I have to drive two and a half hours to see a neurologist. It's going to suck, but I'll be back Friday. See you then. Bye. Motel alone. Their corporate nexus.